Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to the new Mainstream Podcast, where we explore the impact of multicultural consumers on marketing and media. I'm your host, Mario Carrasco, and co-founder of ThinkNow. Excited to introduce our guest today, Stephanie LaFlora, co-founder and CEO of Crown Hunt. Welcome, Stephanie. Hi, thank you for having me. Yeah, excited for this conversation. Um, but before we dive in and learn more about your company, would love to learn more about your journey. I saw you have a BFA in screenwriting. Now you're a you're a founder. So you know, tell us. Um, well, we'd love to learn like what what drove you to, to to screenwriting, and then you know how that how that transferred into into a career as a, as a founder. Yeah, I never get to talk about this, so that's exciting. Um, so I have always been a storyteller. Like since I could write, I was writing stories. Like the moment that I could read and write, I was writing stories, and I am just so drawn to it because of the impact that stories can make. They can create these opportunities of awareness um, within people where they see things in their own life and they make different choices. And so storytelling is incredibly powerful. And so I've always been drawn to that. And that's why I um, you know, went to film school to Loyola Marymount and was a screenwriting major. And I worked in Hollywood a little bit prior. The last thing I did was working on um, Chicago Fire um, as Dick Wolf's assistant. So I did do a, cool. a little bit of that. Um, and then went into publishing after that. And then I kind of started, for me, my life has always been this series of, I have a curiosity about something. I love research. Like I love research in a weird way. And I just like, I just like to research stuff. So I get excited about something and curious about it. I do research. And then these opportunities just come my way related to that. And that's kind of been the story of my life. So I was very curious about the startup world and tech when I was in publishing and I had been just doing research and learning about it and um, looking for an opportunity, but hadn't really started even on that journey. And I got a call um, to be a um, lead for a tech company um, who was partnering with my previous um, publishing company. So they were going to be basically taking the... um, curriculum that they had in print and making it into an app that was interactive. And they thought that I would be a good fit to lead that project because of the work I had done prior with them as a writer. So it just kind of evolved naturally. Uh, But my soul and my heart was wanting to go into tech before that opportunity came up. So when it did, it was just like I knew immediately that this is what I'm doing next. And I actually ended up doing that for 10 years before I launched my company. So it ended up being a huge deal. Um, And the CEO of my previous company is actually one of the investors in my new company. So it just like all worked out um, that that train of events. I love that. And like storytelling um so I, i'm an english literature major so i'm I'm there with you like always been passionate about storytelling and i also love the research aspect um but storytelling has kind of been become like a thing in the business world right like yeah. how, do, how do you feel about that like is it like i think it's, fun. I think it's fantastic i mean i think that was yeah. one of the ways that i learned that business could be for me because I had never considered that. Like I was always, I was the artsy person. Like I was thinking that my pathway was, you know, creating stuff and business just as a word 
as a column of things was like boring. Like I didn't want Mm -hmm. that. And I thought it was definitely not for me. Um, One of the things that was really transformative in my life was when I started working at the tech company, it was really a small company at the time. And it was early startup life. And the CEO really took me under his wing. And so he would like throw me in these pitch meetings where I thought I was just helping prep the pitch meeting. So I'm working on the deck. I'm using my creative skills to like make the deck and like tell the story well of the things that we're selling. Right. Because that was my skill. And then he kind of picked up on that and was like, hey, instead of you just helping us behind the scenes, pitch this next meeting, except he didn't do it that way. I went to the meeting. And then he was like, all right, Stephanie, kick it off. <laughs> and this was for a $5 million grant. So it was freaking crazy that he did that. Like, it was nuts. It was a wild. It was actually a really funny story because we were like in the O'Hare I airport. All these powerful people couldn't, they couldn't figure out how to meet because their travel schedules are so crazy. So we literally had a meeting in a conference room at O'Hare while both CEOs were traveling somewhere else. I was there and I had just prepared the deck. And then when I was there, they were like, all right, Stephanie, kick it off. And I pitched the meeting and got $5 million um, for the company. So, so that was like, that, wow. yeah. Yeah. So like, that was like one of these moments where I was like, oh, wait a minute, this storytelling thing is pretty p- powerful. I had underestimated yeah. what I could do with this skill. And one of the things that I have to credit him for was that he saw that in me when I wasn't even thinking about it and started and then that started to you know I I didn't have that aha moment really it came from somebody else seeing it in me and then I realized like this skill is very translatable like especially in the business world especially running a company because you so much of it is pitching so much of it is telling the story getting people to attach to the brand etc so from there I was just like oh man this little superpower has got legs (laughs) That's in- so like, what did you, what did you do there? I'm so curious for 10 years. That's, that's a long run. Like, yeah, it is a long what run. did you do there? So you got them $5 million. That's one thing. <laughs> so I was in business development. Well, actually, you know, 10 years is a long time to do lots of jobs. Um, yeah, especially yeah. early. I came in as about the 20th employee. By the time I left, there were over 200. So I was really there through this growth season. Um, and I did many jobs, but I started off um, really thinking about how to take um, print stories and make them um, interactive through apps. And remember this 10 years ago, so it's wild though. Um, and then that evolved into business development once I started doing things like what I just said. Um, and what I really ended up doing long-term was helping organizations look at their strategy and um, make changes to it to better reach their audience based on data. So I kind of evolved into this marketing role that ended up being my long-term career, which was marketing because it was merging the storytelling with the data, with the sales Mm. part. So that kind of all came together and that ended up being my shtick. I mean, that's that's cool. I mean, and like, obviously I'm biased being a founder of a market research company, data's my thing, but like um, the combination of storytelling and data, like to me, that's just, one of the most powerful people you can have in an organization. And then I, I think it's a really a superpower as a founder. So that's a good segue. Like, um, so you had your, your 10 year stint there. Like, did you leave because you wanted to start crown hunt or did that just come to a natural ending and you were looking like, tell us the transition and then tell us how you came to the idea of crown hunt. 
and what yeah, it is. So, so um, the idea for crown hunts really came from me hunting for my own crown. So when I moved to Colorado, I'm originally from Chicago. Um, it was a couple of factors there. One, I was the first black employee at my company. Two, I was in a town, Boulder, which has less than 1% black people. Why is that relevant? It's relevant because when I went to go get my hair styled, I realized that I had only ever found a stylist through word of mouth. And then all of a sudden I needed to find a stylist without that because I didn't have any recommendations at that point um, for you know people who are used to styling black hair, which at the time I thought maybe you know, this is a myth. Maybe I don't really need to do that. Maybe that's just like something that we think is a thing, but it's not really a thing. So I just started going to salons near me. And that's when I learned why we, why people typically go to their own. And that was because that I got rejected from all the salons I went to. I went to five different salons around my work, around my home, and none of them were equipped to do my hair because they had never been trained in cosmetology school. Well, as a consumer, I had never heard that story before. I didn't even know that that was a thing. And when I heard that, because my job was going into markets that hadn't utilized technology well enough, um, and there was a lot of um, efficiencies and, and improvements to the industry that could be made through data and technology, my brain immediately thought, hmm, I think there's something here. So that was kind of how I began um, to come up with this idea of crown hunt. And then um, in terms of leaving my company, I had been working on an MVP and stuff like that, um, kind of doing both, which most a lot of people do uh, while I was there. And then we got to a critical point where we got accepted into an accelerator and we're going to get our first VC funding. And that's when I left. Um, um, but it, that even that was very eventful um, because I my company, they, they knew that I was leaving. So it was all good. Their wonderful relationship with them. Um, but three weeks after I told them I was leaving, I found out that I was pregnant with my second child. Um, so I did go forward with all of that. And so a year ago, I was newly uh, quit my job, starting a company, raising money and pregnant. So, yeah. and in an accelerator. So it was a wild, wild, wild year. Um, but I did it. That's incredible. And congrats. I mean, so now how many years in are you? Um, into Crown Hunt? Or, yeah. oh, I'm, so I'm a year and a half in um, okay. uh, right now. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. Um, so I have never heard either that uh, cosmetologists are not trained to deal with with like I didn't I didn't know that was a thing so that's new to me and then um, doing some research like I I learned um, from I think from from your one of your postings that sixty five percent of consumers have curly hair so yep. that's the so that's the majority and yet yes. I, you're telling me people aren't trained on that if I go to the store there's a tiny little section and for curly hair products it's not definitely not sixty five percent. Right. What what's up with that? What's up with the disparity? What have you what have you found? Like, yeah, it's super fascinating. I mean, like even as a person with curly hair, I was shocked when I found that out. Like that was really surprising to me. Um, so the reason why I think is because cultural norms in this country have been to straighten your hair for both attractiveness and for um, professionalism for a long time. Some proof of that is the Crown Act um, is legislation that has been passed in, I think, nearly 20 states now um, where it is 
they're essentially making it illegal to discriminate against someone's hair in school and in work and in the workplace, which is something that has gone on where people would get sent home or they're not being able to land jobs because of the texture of their hair, which sounds, again, probably shocking, but not to, to folks with curly hair. Um, and so there's been this culture that there is a hierarchy of hair texture and that straight hair is seen as, like I said, more professional and more attractive. Because of that, chemical hair straighteners have been very popular. So hairstylists, even ones that would serve people who would have naturally curly hair, weren't having to deal with that natural curl because the culture created so much pressure for people to straighten their hair that they just use chemical straighteners so that they can have the lifestyle that they wanted to have. There's been a ton mm. of rejection against that, though, in recent years um, for a couple reasons. One, people are just embracing their natural selves in general right now. You know, you're seeing people walking on runways, fashion models walking on runways with stretch marks and with cellulite. And you're just seeing a lot more of embracing of natural self. And so hair has been no exception within that. Another reason is because of the rejection of harsh chemicals. I think that people in general are reading labels a lot more. People are more interested in ingredients and what they do. And that has to do with things that, of course, that touch your skin and your, your body, like hair products, but also with um, products that you use around your home to clean your home. Like there's just an awareness that has built up around what is this stuff that we're using and is any are any of the ingredients harmful? And chemical straighteners have been associated with a lot of harmful effects. And so that also has led to people, you know, rejecting those harsh chemicals. So then they're embracing themselves. And then 2020 was a real crescendo moment because like all of this was already happening. But then 2020 really like crescendoed it all because everybody was home. People didn't have access to their stylist. All of a sudden they are using they're having to style their own hair and people were just doing a lot less in general. You know, in 2020, people weren't even wearing like real clothes anymore, just sweatpants every day. <laughs> so like your hair was kind of part of that. Like, you know, I'm just going to let the gray grow out. There's a lot of people who went gray during 2020. And I'm just going to let my curls, you know, just do their thing. So I think that that also allowed people to have this moment of experimenting in their own safety of their own home and feeling more comfortable to try things. And then, you know what they did at the end of that, they were like, you know what? I like this curl. I think this is cute. I don't want to, I don't mm -hmm. want to straighten this anymore. I actually, I really like this about myself. And so the whole culture I think has been um, moving towards this, this destination. And I think it's a really healthy place. So, so let's like, let's talk a little bit about like more. What, so, so I think we have a good sense of, of the issue and, um, kind of where it's evolved. So like, what does Crown Hunt do? Like, what, yes. what, what do you do? What is it an app? Is it a website? Crown Hunt is a web app for stylists and subscription um, for them to get continuing education on curly hair and also mm. to be able to get access to curly hair products um, that they can sell to their consumers um, as um, and get commission for those sales. So it's really our mission is to make life with curly hair easier. And we started by educating these stylists that weren't educated on how mm. to actually style and care for the curls. So that's everything from cut to color to just general curl care, um, hair extensions. Like we're really covering the foundation of how to uh, care for curls. And, you know, I'm not in a 
person who's been in the hair industry, all of these classes have been provided by experts in the field who are curl specialists and their content is on the platform for subscription. So yeah. Oh, very cool. So it's so it's for stylists. So it's for mm-hmm. stylists. And so so you're solving the education gap there, right? Um, yeah, because I, I thought you were, I thought it was um, like consumer when, when you were describing it like, yeah, consumer based that I could find someone that knows how to deal with curly hair. But um, I, I like the idea that that you know, you're 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 providing that education so that there's more stylists, more options for, exactly. for people with curly hairs. We really thought it was important to start with the foundational problem and that the, that foundational problem is an education problem. Um, you know, there's nearly a million stylists in the country and only like one in 10 of them has been trained properly. And so um, that's a big problem. So it's like it feels like getting the education is one of the core problems. And then, you know, we are definitely always looking at other opportunities and also are looking to uh, reach out to consumers directly at some point as well. So how, how are you? um how are you finding stylists? Like, how do you how do you get the message out there? If I'm a stylist and yeah, I, I, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm looking for curly hair education, or maybe I'm not. But you're like, oh, that's interesting. I should do that. Like, how are you? How are you? How are you marketing that? Yeah, I mean, we're doing online mar- advertising. Um, you know, social media. Our social media is popping. Come follow us at Crown Hunt on Instagram. Um, and um, you know, I'm always out there talking to folks, doing interviews, telling more people about it. We were just on Revolt TV last week, um, and so just really starting to get the word out about what we're up to. And I think people are always. Um, excited when they hear the problem that we're solving because so many people have experienced this problem and they know it like they know that they can't just go to any salon and that shouldn't be the case and especially the 65 percent part is just nuts yeah. um, so there's a lot of money that's being left on the table um i think by not creating a central place for these consumers to find what they're looking for for sure no that's awesome um so that being said, like, what do you, how do you see the market like evolving in, in three to five years? I mean, it's, I, I think if we continue down where it's going, like the market's going to get bigger, you know, people are um, going to feel more empowered to wear their natural hair. Like what, what do you see? Like, what's your, what's your projection? Yeah. I mean, I think what you said is absolutely right. People are, the door is open and I think there's so many Um, products. There's so many solutions that are being created right now. Like this is an emerging market. And what's beautiful about it is not just that it's an emerging market and people will um, have their curly hair needs met, which is very important, but also the solutions that are being created are often being created by the people with curly hair, which is includes a whole bunch of black and brown folks. So I think that there's this beautiful thing that's happening where the needs are being met. And also there's this um, boom of entrepreneurs. Um, one interesting stat is that black women are actually the fastest growing group of entrepreneurs in this country. Um, and a lot of them are in the hair industry because this mm. is this huge gap that hasn't been fulfilled and we've been feeling the pain forever. Um, and so I'm really excited about the boost in economy that I think will happen for this. Um, and then also 
with like stylists themselves, you know, 91% of stylists are female. So when you talk about the impact of this industry um, increasing in its um, market size, there's jobs, there's money, there's lives that can be changed that really look like a lot of the demographics that are waiting and ready for this next step um, of us really um, creating sustainable economics um, for you know, brown and black folks. So I th- I'm very excited about it. And I think Crown Hunt's mission, like I said, is to make life easier for c- people with curly hair. But our intent is to do that by actually bringing all of this industry together on a common platform. And that's really our ultimate goal. I love that because it's like positive on both sides, right? Like you're, you're yes. gonna, like empowering people to like wear their hair naturally. Um and then also giving people like a pathway to entrepreneurship. I mean, that's that's awesome. Yeah, um, it's exciting. Um, one thing that we did recently that I think really is a good culmination of all of that is we recently partnered with a hair product company called Anasi. They are out of Chicago. And the um, CEO of that company is a Black chemist, Black female chemist. And so what we're doing is partnering with that company to actually bring opportunity to sell their hair products to, you know, clients through the stylists across the country. So one of the things that's true is that um, hair salons have typically made about 15 percent of their revenue from um, selling hair products. But a lot of brown and black um, stylists have never been able to monetize in that way because those same companies didn't create products for curly hair. So now we're bringing together these curly hair companies with, and then um, bringing this opportunity to stylists to be able to add that revenue stream in their business. So it really is a win-win-win for everybody because the consumer is getting recommended product that really works for them. The stylist is able to add a revenue stream for themselves. And these hair product companies, which are looking for more distribution channels, are able to do so in partnerships with these um, stylists and salons. So it's, uh, we're excited about creating more and more opportunities that really win for everybody. That's awesome. Um, and not to kill the mood, but one of the things that I've been kind of worried about, right, being in the multicultural research space is like this whole kind of backlash happening yeah. with D&I, right? Like you mentioned 2020, that was transformative for us as a business. People, companies starting to realize the power of brown and black consumers um, and doing more research. But it seems like there's a backlash, right? You have affirmative action was struck down uh, recently for colleges. Um, yeah, Florida. I don't know what's going on in Florida, but you know they everything. <laughs> ban- Florida you know, is banning, Florida. Yeah, right. Ban- banning critical race theory. So, like, I think of like, man, is like, you know, how's that? How's that going to affect companies thinking about it? I mean. Do you think about that or what are your thoughts? Like, what's your opinion on this, this other side of that's, that's happening in terms yeah. of the country? I mean, I do, I do think about that quite a bit. In fact, you know, a big part of the motivation of how I even took the leap because I was terrified to become an entrepreneur, rightfully so. Now I realize that I was very smart in having that. Um, <laughs> like, <laughs> but one of the things truly that got me to like get over that and take the leap was 2020 and like, all of this momentum and all of this energy around, um, you know, why shouldn't we be at the table? Why should, you know, like there was just so much energy and encouragement happening within the community. And like 
there were new standards being created by people who mm. had had enough of the old standards. And I was just revved up by that. I was just like, yeah, why not me? You know, like I was in that with it. And I just, it, 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 it was a tidal wave that pushed me over the edge. And I probably would have gotten pushed at some point, but that timing was 100% connected to what was happening around us. So I will say that I was on the front end of that in terms of being motivated by that movement. And now I see what's happening as well. And I think that the truth is we, and I'm saying we as a marginalized people, have always figured out how to be self-motivated. We have never mm -hmm. gotten our motivation from other people seeing us. That ain't never been the way because we've never been seen. So this pushed the general population and corporations and stuff like that to create policies and to recognize us in ways that we had not been formally recognized before. Um, the backlash is not terribly surprising. You know, like I think if you look at history, um, this is the way progress goes. There's a big push, there's a big wave, and then the, the wave recedes. Then there's a big push, and then the wave recedes. And that's kind of the ebb and flow of progress. But if you look over time, you know, if you look at like 100 years, it's still up and to the right. You know, like the mm -hmm. line is still that way. There's a whole lot of this going on, but it's still up and to the right. And I think that as an entrepreneur, you know, one of the blessings and curses of being a person crazy enough to do this is that you are re relentlessly hopeful. <laughs> yeah. And so that doesn't change when I look at the country. I think that, you know, uh, you know, folks gonna do what they've been doing for for the begin since the beginning of time, which is being greedy and thinking about themselves and not having any empathy for the next person. Like human beings are gonna do that till the end of time. And maybe at some point, racism won't be the most effective tool because we'll all look the, the brown. Because eventually we're going all, you know what I mean? Like Maybe that, that will become not as effective. But for now, while that is an extremely effective tool to conquer the masses, people are going to keep trying and we're going to keep willing and we're going to keep being creative and coming up with ideas. But one thing I will say that really gives me a lot of hope is that during this window of time, people are quick. OK, last year, my company was one of 100 companies to receive VC funding that was black owned. Wow. So during this period of time, there are people who are pushing through the cracks that are having hope that wouldn't have had it before, that are getting opportunities that they wouldn't have gotten before, that have jobs and titles and access that wasn't previously accessed. So if we could get here with what we had, where could we go from from here? You know, because there's so many that. more people in positions of power and we don't give up. So good luck. That's what I have to say to that effort. <laughs> History, no, I, I, if history I, is, you know, passes prologue, they're not going to win. Yeah, no, you inspired me. And, and also, I mean, I think one thing that, that keeps me positive, right, is like um, you can't fight demographics. Like, like that stat you dropped about uh, black women leading entrepreneurship, that's not going to stop. And, um, no, you know, like what 100% of the growth in this country from a pre people standpoint is coming from from diverse people like that that's where the growth the growth is coming from asian immigration latinos black um so like yeah all this stuff can be happening and this rhetoric and laws but um the train has already left the station in terms of change and they know that. And that's why the uh, attempts are becoming so 
obvious and aggressive because it's a Hail Mary attempt. That's mm. what it is. And I'm not saying it won't have an effect. That's not what I'm saying. I definitely think that um, there's a lot of power on that side to make changes that are detrimental. Um, but those changes won't deter people. That's mm. where I think that they're miscalculating. Those changes only empower people. That's why you see Gen Z is some of the most politically active generation in like, I don't know how long, but very long. <laughs> they are yeah. more active than we were. And I'm a millennial. Like, so it's not deterring people. It's only revving people uh, up. Um, and I do believe in the end that um, good wins. That's just a personal belief. And it may be over the history of humans. It may not be immediate, but I, I do believe that. Um, I'm with you. So, so back to the positive then. So, what are you, what are you, what are you looking forward to in the in the next two to three years? So you're pretty, I mean, pretty new. Although probably doesn't feel new to you. I get it. You're you're almost two years in. What are you looking forward to in the next two or three years for Crown Hunt? Yeah, I mean, I think um, really taking more of a platform approach. You know, I think what we've been doing is trying to figure out the right place, the right entry point. There's so many things within the curly hair market that are ripe for um, new technology and solutions and disruption that it's honestly kind of hard to pick a spot. And so I think that we, you know, we picked a spot and I think that, you know, as we continue to cement that foundation, well, we can build on top of that is enormous and powerful. So in the next two to three years, what I'm most excited about is getting to unify this marketplace into a central location that will be Crown Hunt. Like that is the dream, that is the goal. And to really start to develop our relationship with consumers, which we haven't done. We've only been um, stylist facing this entire time and we're looking to make a big push towards the consumer market in the short term. So I'm excited to see what comes from that. Cause I can't wait to be like, going back to solving my original um, you know, problem of, of just curly hair being hard. No, that's amazing, and um, it's it's been awesome to meet you and talk to you and learn about your story. Um, definitely want to follow you on IG if if you could share. How yeah. can people get in touch with you if they want to keep in touch with you, your company? Um, yeah, go ahead and, and share your socials. If you're a stylist and uh, interested in learning about curly hair, whether you're just getting started or you want to you know, top off your skills at Crown Hunt on Instagram is the best way to find us. We're, our website is also crownhunt.io. Um, also, if you're a consumer, I think you should go on there because there's a lot of funny, good hair stuff, inspiration, dope hairstyles. And also we probably got some stuff coming for you soon. Um, and then if you are an entrepreneur and you or you're an aspiring entrepreneur and you're looking to take the leap or you're in it deep right now, listen, I share what happens for me in the trenches on my own Instagram. I keep it all the way real. I got kids. I got investors. I got all the jams. <laughs> so I know what it's like to be in the thick of it. You can follow me at Stephanie LaFlora on Instagram. I'm also on threads and um that's where you'll get some inspiration and hope to keep going awesome stephanie thank you so much for joining us and and thank you everybody for listening thank you so much for having me thanks to everyone listening in to get more multicultural insights check us out at thinknow.com and follow us on social media you can also subscribe to this podcast on your favorite platform 
final thank you to our producer, Lucas Martinez, who created our intro music and makes our podcast sound great. T-mail him. Reach out to martinez.lucas.a at gmail.com. 